You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hello, you're joining me for episode 255 of the Blended Family Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about addiction in children and teens, which I think is a super important topic to discuss. Um, I've seen addiction in my own life through a lot of people that I know, and it's it's honestly terrifying, and it's even more terrifying if it happens to one of your children. Um, I'm also going to be doing another show for teenagers coming up soon on perspective. I think a few years ago I did a perspective series where I talked about perspective of everyone in the blended family home, but I never really discussed perspective of a teenager. And I think that teenagers are really difficult to raise, but I think if we understood them a little bit better, maybe it would be helpful. And so we're going to be actually doing a two-part show there and the first one is going to be for my parents to listen to kind of give you like some insight into the teenage mind and their side of things and then the second part is actually going to be a show for your teenager to listen to for your struggling teenager Um, and I'm bringing in uh, a counselor for this I should have done the show a long time ago but the person that I had was no longer able to do it, so I had to find another expert. But I'm bringing in an expert for that, and he's gonna be speaking directly to your teenagers that could be struggling with some issues just in general and maybe also part of being in the blended family. So if you have any questions for teenagers, um, or if your teenager even has a question, you can send those in to me right now. I will be recording that at the beginning of March, so try to send them in as soon as you possibly can uh, to Melissa at Blended Family Podcast, and we will save those for that show. Um, And also, for today's show on addiction, if you have further questions for my guest after today's show, after listening, you can also send those to me because my guest has agreed to come back on. So if there are more concerns or questions after today's show, he will come back. So it's still okay to go ahead and send me whatever questions you have even after today. So now everybody should be listening to today's show, even if you have very young children, because your young children are going to become older children. And we know that addiction is very prevalent in middle school and high school. And so I think that everyone should be listening um, and, you know, definitely share this show with those friends of yours or family members that have teenagers and children that could be affected by addiction because it's always good to have the information in advance even if you feel well hey this isn't going on in my life right now it's not a problem but you never know when something like that can creep in the door so just get the information Um, it's a really good guest today now if you missed last week's show it was a Valentine's special and I talked about how to grow together in your relationship and not grow apart so if you're feeling like maybe you need some relationship help these days just make sure you check out that last show that was episode number 254 as far as next week haven't gotten that far yet I know I'm I'm not a very good planner lately I um I used to be 
very on to my planning and that is how I like to do things but that's not how it's been lately I've been trying to um, stop being such a workaholic so I have no idea what I'm covering next week but I will have a show so come and join me next week for that I love you guys so much I hope that you find this interview very valuable um, so thank you so much and please share it we'll see you next week Richard Capriola has been a mental health and addictions counselor for over two decades. He's been licensed in Illinois and Texas. He recently retired from Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, where for over a decade, he worked as an addictions counselor for adults and adolescents diagnosed with mental health and substance abuse issues. He's the author of The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate uh, very much you having me as a guest on your program and the opportunity to talk about adolescent substance abuse. Um, so thank you very much. Yes, I'm so grateful that you're here today to discuss this because childhood addiction has become a really big challenge for today's parents, especially those of us in blended homes. And we have a ton of information to cover, so we're just going to jump right in. Uh, but before we get to the questions, I really just want to know a little bit more about you and what got you into this line of work, Richard? Well, I started working um, a long time ago um, in the field of education. And while I was doing that, I also um, took a position uh, with a regional mental health crisis center in central Illinois. And I noticed that many of the people who were coming to the crisis center from the emergency rooms not only had a psychological issue that they were struggling with, but also had an underlying substance abuse issue. So I went back to the University of Illinois and uh, received a master's degree, degree in, in addictions counseling, continued to work at the uh, crisis center for a number of years until I was offered a position at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. Menninger is a psychiatric hospital, but a large percentage of their patients also have an underlying substance abuse issue. So I accepted the position with Menninger Clinic and I worked on their adolescent unit and their adult uh, unit. I worked there for a little over a decade treating adolescents and adults that were diagnosed with uh, a substance abuse issue. I retired a little over a year ago and that's when I set about writing this book to be a resource for parents. Well, I'm so glad that you did. You know, you talk about underlying causes of things. And one of the things I noticed that you said in the book is that it's really important to look at the underlying cause of addiction. And I agree with you because so many times as parents, you know, we think, my gosh, what did I do wrong? And my child is just being so bad. They're so out of control. When in reality, we really need to figure out as parents what our child is feeling or what they're trying to maybe place a Band-Aid on by using these addictive behaviors. So I would love for you to elaborate on this for me. Well, you're absolutely right. I think uh, certainly not every child has an underlying psychological issue that's driving their substance uh, abuse, but many do. Uh, for example, um, most of the kids that I worked with who were using marijuana, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking marijuana, the number one answer I got back from them was it helps me with my anxiety. Mm. So I think it's important for parents to understand that 
while their child might be using a substance, it's important to know why they're using a substance. Uh, for some, it might be peer pressure. It might be just the thrill of hanging around with kids that are using. But for an awful lot of kids, it's being used as a way to medicate an underlying issue, such as depression or anxiety, uh, stress, uh, could be a lot of different issues. So as parents, it's important to look beyond just the substance abuse and find out whether or not there might be an underlying issue that's driving your child to using a substance because that's going to be that that will be uh, something that needs to be treated as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it's so important to look at the bigger picture. Now, I have four teenagers, so I've been a little bit schooled in the last few years in current types of substances that are out there. But I know until my kids reached that age, I really didn't know because it's very different from back when we were young. And I know a lot of parents are just not aware. So, um, and especially if their kids are elementary age. So can you talk about what are the substances that teens are using today? I mean, just in a general sense. Sure. And one of the reasons I wrote the book was to help parents understand a little bit more about all of the substances that are out there so that they're more familiar with them. You know, marijuana and alcohol are, are still two of the most widely used substances uh, among teens. But what we are seeing in the last few years is a tremendous increase in what is called vaping, vaping of marijuana and vaping of nicotine. Vaping is where um, you will use an electronic device to turn a substance into a vapor and then you inhale the vapor into your lungs. Well, what we've seen in the last three years is just a tremendous increase in, in teenagers vaping nicotine and marijuana. For example, three years ago, um, about 9% of seniors were vaping marijuana. Today, it's 22%. About three years ago, 18% um, of seniors were vaping nicotine. Today, it's 34%. So just in three years, we've seen a huge surge of vaping among adolescents. We're not seeing so much uh, uh, heavy use of, of um, you know, drugs like cocaine, opiates. They're still being used, but nowhere near the extent of alcohol and drugs. Some of the kids are still getting into over uh, prescription drugs like Ritalin and Adderall. That's about 4% of seniors. Um, but, but, you know, kids are, are gravitating towards alcohol and marijuana. The big change is they're vaping substances today much more than they have in the past. Well, I'm glad that you brought up vaping because I really wanted to talk about that. And I know that it's becoming extremely popular among our youth. And even in my kids' high school, it became such a problem that they had to install, um, I don't know, vape detector devices in the bathrooms and things like this. But it makes me feel angry as a parent because I feel that, you know, cigarettes were becoming very unpopular. There was a time where it looked like they were just going to go away because it was uncool to smell like smoke. And I noticed the statistics were going down on that until the introduction of the vape, which smells better. It tastes better. It's more addictive. I see it because the kids don't have to hide it as much. You know, they don't need to go outside to use it. It's pretty much always in their hands. And I feel as parents, it's it's kind of a losing battle. It's extremely concerning considering how many teens are now presenting with heart issues and anxiety issues. And I can't help 
but feel like it's the vaping that is causing a lot of these problems, but we don't know how to stop it. So what's your take on that, Richard? What can we do about this vaping epidemic? Well, smoking cigarettes is at an all-time low, which is good. Uh, but it seems that kids have switched from smoking cigarettes mm -hmm. to vaping nicotine. And right. when you talk to them, you might hear them say, well, yes, I vape nicotine, but it's it's safer than smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And and in one respect, they're correct, because when you smoke a cigarette, you get not just nicotine, you get all kinds of different substances along with the nicotine. Um, when you're vaping nicotine, you're just getting nicotine. But the problem with that is you're generally getting much higher concentrations of nicotine than what you would get by smoking a cigarette. So kids are getting uh, a lot higher um, uh, a lot much higher uh, concentrations of nicotine, which makes it more damaging, which makes it more addictive. And, 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 and the bottom line is they are inhaling a substance into their lungs that's just not healthy for them. Yeah, it's terrible. And they can get it, you know, through however means. I mean, they, I know they raised the age to 21 for the nicotine, but that's not stopping them. So it's just a really big, um, what's your advice to help our kids with that? Well, I think, um, I, I think it gets to uh, helping them understand the potential uh, for damage, whether it's uh, uh, nicotine or marijuana or any substances. It's really important that they understand that at, at their young ages, they have a brain that is in the process of developing and they need to protect that brain as much as they can. Yeah. And so I'm so glad you brought up the brain because that leads us right into my next question. I wanted to talk about the brain. I know how important brain development is, and I'd love for you to discuss the teenage brain just a little bit and explain how it differs from the adult brain when it comes to addiction and substance abuse. Well, I think there's two differences between adult addiction and adolescent addiction. And one of the differences is in consequences. Adults who are addicted to a substance have often faced consequences, sometimes catastrophic consequences. They may have lost a job or a family. Uh, they may have been incarcerated. So uh, adults who are addicted often face catastrophic consequences as a result of their uh, uh, drug addiction. Adolescents, on the other hand, uh, basically have faced very few consequences other than perhaps their, their parents coming down on them or restricting them, but nowhere near the consequences that adults face when they're addicted. The second difference uh, is in brain development. Uh, adolescent brains are just not fully developed until around age 24 or 25. So they're in the process of, of, of developing. And when you introduce a substance into a developing brain, you not only risk uh, the addiction happening, you also can have some serious consequences on their ability to function. Uh, for example, many of the kids that I worked with who were smoking marijuana multiple times a day, um, you know, what I found when the psychological test came back, the, their processing speed of their brain was below average. Um, their short-term memory was impaired and their motivation was, was very low. So the substances into a developing brain often carries with it some consequences that can affect a whole range of performances. And my message to, uh, to kids is you need to protect that brain because these substances can have some serious consequences. 
Yeah, I bet. Now, you talked about the difference between adults and adolescents, but are there differences also between girls and boys when it comes to substance abuse? There are some differences. Uh, For example, uh, boys are more likely to binge drink alcohol than girls. Um, They seem to enjoy binge drinking much more so than the girls do. Uh, Boys are at a higher risk of using over-the-counter drugs than girls. And boys are more likely to become dependent on more than one substances, more than one substance, multiple substances than girls are. Um, Girls tend to gravitate to substance use to offset the feelings of depression or loneliness or perhaps some type of trauma or post-traumatic stress disorder. Boys, on the other hand, tend to gravitate when, when we see conduct disorders, behavioral disorders, and learning disorders. So there are some differences between boys and girls. That's really interesting. Now, were you going to say something? No, no. I think, oh, okay. I think it is interesting to see those differences between boys and girls. But what cuts across a lot of it, whether it's a boy or a girl, is that in many cases, it's an attempt to medicate an underlying issue. Um, uh, and, and that's why it's so important that as parents, we not just focus on the alcohol use or the drug use. We need to, to make sure that there's not some type of underlying issue that may be driving our child to using a substance. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I really don't like talking about COVID because we've talked about it so much, but we kind of have to. This is this year's reality. And I think that it could really have a lot to do with what has been going on with some of our kids and teens this year. Um, It's greatly affected us. So I I know that some people don't understand. They think it's only affecting the adults because we're stressed out about money and jobs and things like this. But it is greatly affecting our youth. And so I want you to speak a little bit about that, about the pandemic impact on our adolescents and their compulsive behaviors. You're absolutely right. Um, the, the COVID pandemic has, has upset um, adults. It's upset kids. Um, and, and what we're seeing is that there has been a tremendous increase in the need for mental health services, especially in the area of children and teens. Um, since the pandemic began, there's been a 24% increase in emergency room visits by grade school children. And there's been about a 30% increase for teens urgently needing mental health care. So this pandemic is having a tremendous impact on the mental health of adolescents. And I think we're just beginning to scratch the surface of what we're seeing. It's affecting adolescents' sleep, their eating, their school performance. Um, it's it just, it's, it, it, it's, affected their gaming. We have a lot of kids now who are stuck at home. We've seen 70% of kids under the age of 18 on consoles, some type of gaming to, to offset feelings of loneliness and isolation. Since during 2020, when the pandemic first started, half of the children and teens are spending more than six hours a day online. That's a 500% increase over 2019. So they're using this as a way to combat depression, anxiety as an escape. Um, But there is no question that this pandemic is taking a heavy toll on the mental health of adults as well as their children. 
Yeah, and I agree with everything that you just said, and I notice elements of all those things in my own kids, who I think are doing fairly well considering everything that's been going on. And you know, we talk to our kids a lot about things, but I see each of them struggling with a little bit of different things. Um, and so, and I can imagine, you know, that's just my four in my house, and I know that there's some kids that don't have parents that are around to talk to, and that could be even worse. You know, at least we're, we're home and we're able to talk to our kids. But I know that there's some different situations out there, so it's really, really important. What are some warning signs, Richard, that we should look for to determine if our, if our child is using or if our child has an addictive behavior? What are we, what are we looking for? Well, my book uh, lists warning signs that every parent should know about. Uh, there are different warning signs for alcohol and drugs. There are different warning signs for a child that might have an eating disorder. Uh, there are different uh, warning signs for uh, a child that might be self-injuring themselves. And my book identifies what, what those warning signs that parents should be aware of if you think your child might have an eating disorder or might be self-harming. Um, and then there's warning signs for alcohol and marijuana that are in the book too. But as a general rule, what I advise is pay attention to any changes that you see in your child. Pay attention to um, those kinds of behavioral changes, those kinds of physical changes, anything that seems out of the ordinary. Don't just assume that these are changes as a result of adolescent, uh, normal adolescent development. They may very well be, but they may also be a signal that there's something else underlying what's going on. So as a general rule, pay attention to any type of, of, of significant changes that you see in your child. And the more of these changes that you see, the more likely there's an underlying issue going on that you need to know about. Yeah, that's really good. And I know it's hard for my my blended family listeners out there. I know it's difficult because sometimes there's lots of issues. And sometimes you're dealing with issues from the other household and you're not really sure. So like Richard said, you just need to pay attention, pay extra attention to your kids, you know, and see um, what's going on. You really have to be very aware these days. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about process disorders because I know we're, you know, we're talking about drugs and alcohol, but as we said with the gaming and with the eating disorders in the cell phone, there's Addiction can come in many forms. It's not just dr drugs. So can you um, talk a little bit about those other disorders? Yeah, we call them process disorders. There's chemical disorders, which is the alcohol and the drugs. We, we call those chemical disorders. And then there are process disorders, which tend to be more behavioral disorders. Mm -hmm. And that's where we see compulsive type of behavioral disorders. An example would be uh, a child who has developed an eating disorder. And my book goes into more detail about what the signs and symptoms of an eating disorder are. Um, another example would be a child who is uh, cutting on themselves or self-harming in, in, in some way. And, and I list in the book certain signs that parents should be aware of that would indicate their child might be self-harming. Um, and then there are compulsive behaviors like uh, gaming um, uh, and, and cell phone use. Any of these types of behaviors can become excessive to the point where they're actually interfering with the person's ability to function. Um, and parents need to 
be aware that in, in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, we can have a child who has a chemical addiction, say smoking marijuana or drinking alcohol, and also has a process disorder such as cutting. I've, I've treated a number of girls, primarily girls, who have been smoking marijuana, but also cutting on themselves. So they're doing both. And whenever you have a child who has a chemical disorder like alcohol or marijuana and a process disorder like cutting or self-injury, you need to get an assessment on both of those disorders, and then you need to have treatment on both of those disorders. You can't just treat one and not the other, because if you do, what's going to happen is, as you see the treatment help the child say on the marijuana, you may very well see an increase in their cutting because while one coping skill has been sort of reduced, the other coping skill will will spike because both are being used as a coping skill to manage some type of intolerable thought or feeling or memory. So the bottom line is, if you suspect your child has a process disorder, get it assessed and build it into the treatment plan. Yeah, well, and I think that you'd have to because I think even there's some other things that might even go together. For instance, you know, smoking marijuana and gaming. Somebody might really enjoy putting those two things together. And if you try to remove one, they might have a really hard time with the treatment. So um, that's some really great advice. You know, my kids, what I found was a big problem and still is, but they're a little bit older, so it's different. But in, in the time of middle school, it was the cell phone issue. That was such a problem. It was almost like I could tell that it was an addiction because if we would have to take it away for disciplinary action, they would, I mean, it, it was like you were murdering them, the screaming and the carrying on <laughs> over a cell phone. And it was so hard for us to understand. And I think, you know, that's part of this, I guess this generation, you know, very uh, addicted to social media and technology, which I think has really been a problem. But I do want to talk about the gaming piece mostly because I've received a lot of questions on gaming. I'm not going to read any of them today, but I received enough. And I know how addictive gaming can be and obviously more so now because kids are forced to spend a lot of time at home and it becomes a really big issue for blended families because it's hard to monitor screen time from home to home, especially as often as the case, parents really don't always agree on what is too much um, in one house or the other. And so I'd really love to hear some more of your thoughts on gaming. How do we know if there's a problem and what can we do about it? Because, you know, this is, this is a lot of, um, there's a lot of communication that goes back and forth on there and things like this. So talk to me about gaming. Well, I think, um, I, th I think we're seeing uh, it become a little bit more heightened due to the pandemic and, and kids being trapped, so to speak, at home, away from their social environments at school and their friends. Uh, roughly 70% of kids under the age of 18 uh, own a con some type of console uh, to play games. Uh, it tends to be more boys than girls. Um, um, but in 2020, when, um, when, when we had the pandemic first start, about half of the children and teens were spending more than six hours a day online. And that's a 500% increase over 2019. And a lot of that I think is, be, is, is due to being confined at home. Um, and, and there is a correlation that seems to be developing between gaming and depression and anxiety. As kids turn more and more to gaming to sort of um, deal with uh, depression or anxiety or 
some uncomfortable feeling. They use it as an escape, sort of to numb themselves from the distress. Um, but it, 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 it can be a problem. And, and it was a problem for many parents, even before the pandemic. I had one young boy that was, uh, that was sent to Menninger, and he was very much attached to his gaming console. And when his parents uh, tried, to, tried to intervene, they took away the console, and he just walked over to his brother's room one night and, and stole his brother's console. So that kind of behavior can become uh, sort of addictive as well and, uh, and, and, and can really cause some struggles within a family. Yeah, and uh, also the the whole violence piece. I mean, we know that a lot of the video games are very violent, and it's really desensitizing them. And then especially when they're playing it all day long, they're living in this world of war. And then when real life stuff happens, they don't even bat an eye. You know, my it was very frightening for me. My daughter was telling me about a video she was watching that would have been extremely disturbing for me to see. And she was very nonchalant about it. She was like, well, this happened and yeah, no big deal. And I, I mean, I couldn't understand, but then I thought about it. Well, with the video games that they play and the violence that they see on a regular basis, it's no big deal. Well, that's very true. You know, these are these are not the kind of video games that were around uh, 15, 20, 25 years yeah. ago when this phase sort of was beginning. These these games are much more high tech, uh, much more dramatic, much more violent, and it and it's almost as if kids exposed to them and who and who get attached to them are almost becoming inoculated in a way mm-hmm. towards violence, you know, where where violence now seems to be more of a game than anything else. And it's hard for them to distinguish the game from reality. And that can have some pretty serious consequences down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So parents, again, pay attention. I know it's hard and I know we're all going through our own kind of shifts here, but you got to pay attention to what they're doing. So Richard, if a parent suspects either substance abuse or, you know, um, process disorders, whatever it might be, um, what, what should they do? I think the first thing they should do is have a conversation with their child. Um, That may go well, it may not go well. But I would say the first thing is sit down with your child, um, not to accuse them of of taking a a drug or drinking alcohol, uh, not not to uh, give the impression that you're judging them, uh, but basically to try and understand what is going on, what is behind this behavior, um, and to listen carefully to what they're saying. You know, we're, we're really good at being able, and, and this is true for adults too, we're very good at listening to what people say, but we're not very good at listening to the feelings behind the words that we're hearing. Um, and, and I go into this in the parent workbook that I wrote to accompany the book, the main book, um, but it's a skill that all parents can learn. And, 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 and regardless of the age of your child, maybe they're six, seven, eight, nine, maybe they're 16, 17, 18, we can all develop better listening skills so that we're not just listening to our children's words, we're listening to their feelings behind the words. So I would say the first thing to do is try to have a conversation with your child about not just their behavior, but more importantly, what is behind that behavior? Can they open up and talk about what is really going on. You may find that your child is using a substance because they're anxious or maybe because of some other reason. Um, So I would say begin the process with a conversation. 
Sometimes that's not going to go very well. You'll have a child that becomes defensive, becomes angry, walks away, um, but, um, but, but keep trying it. But eventually you're wanting, you want to get to the point where you have a professional assessment done. If you suspect your child is using a substance or has been uh, involved in a process disorder, you need to get a professional assessment done and it needs to be a comprehensive assessment. Okay, so what kind of tests are important for an assessment and diagnosis? I have a whole chapter in my book on on, on this very question. Okay. What 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 assessments are important for for a family? Um, obviously. Um, you need an addictions assessment because you need to know what substances your child has been using, how often have they been using, and how long have they been using. Uh, and then you need a diagnosis. Is it substance abuse disorder that's mild, or is it moderate, or is it severe? And an addictions assessment will tell you that. Um, another test that you will need is a psychological test, and that's likely to reveal if there's an underlying issue that may be driving your child to use a substance. Um, and you may need a neuropsychological uh, test. So this is a process where you're using multiple tests to put together a complete picture of your child. And, that, and that's so important that I put an entire chapter in my book on the kinds of tests that, that a parent should ask for, because what you want is a complete picture of everything that's going on. And that leads to a diagnosis, a comprehensive diagnosis. And, and, and I point out in my book that a diagnosis is not a label. We're not labeling your child, okay? We're giving you a diagnosis for the purpose of setting forth a treatment plan to help your child. That's the purpose of a diagnosis. The purpose of a diagnosis is to explain the problem and identify what help what can help you. What are the treatments that are available for you and your child? That's great. Now, several times we've been talking, you've brought up anxiety and I would agree with you that anxiety is one of the biggest issues of teenagers today. Um, and specifically, you know, kids of blended families, that's just a whole extra element of added anxiety for different issues that go on there. But um, mo all of my listeners, most if not all, are blended families. So I want to talk about that a little bit because it does add a layer of difficulty to manage teenage addiction when there's a blended family because there could be disagreements or miscommunication back and forth from home to home. It's pretty common, as well as step-siblings getting involved, which can create other kinds of issues. So if you could just speak to my blended families for a moment and share any kind of tips that would make this easier on them, keeping in mind that often bio parents can't agree about things. So what can these two families do to come together for the benefit of the addicted child? Well, you're so right. Uh, I think the blended families uh, presents a unique, um, a unique, a unique challenge for parents, uh, especially when you have adolescents who are very clever at splitting people, mm -hmm. uh, who are very clever at manipulating situations. Um, and, and, and it requires a blended family to be on the same page, uh, be on the same page in terms of what you are communicating to your child, 
give a consistent message to your child about substance abuse um, and, and, and not allow that child to play one parent off of another parent. Um, so the important thing is that parents be on the same page. They talk about this issue in advance. They have a game plan and they are sending a, a, a consistent message to their child so that their child number one, receives that consistent message and is not allowed to drive a wedge between parents or to manipulate and use um, any type of disagreements to their own disadvantage. Um, so the bottom line is uh, have a consistent message, be on the same page, um, and, and you're more likely to, uh, to, to work together as a team. And that's what you want to do. You want to work together as a team. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what I teach all the time. I know that it can be difficult with exes sometimes, but when it comes to an addicted child, you really have to, you really have to put that other stuff aside and do get on the same page when it comes to your child. Even if you're not sure what's going on in the other house, maybe the child, you know, I have one of my children um, was doing some wrong things for a little while and she was only doing certain things at my house and not at dad's house. So he really didn't know, you know, and he didn't quite believe it all at the beginning. And so it's really important. Like Richard said, you've got to get on the same page because if you're not that, that child does know how to manipulate and a child that is addicted knows how to manipulate far better than a sober child, just because they have these addictive behaviors that they're trying to cover up for, and they get really good at that. Um, one of the things I noticed from raising my own teenagers and coaching families is that many teens are often very resistant to receiving help. That was one of mine. Um, they, they just think they're smarter than us, and a lot of times they don't want to talk about their feelings, or they could be full of teenage angst um, and can be even more so in a blended family if there's any related trauma to that. So what kind of tips do you, I'm sure you've seen this in your line of work, um, a teen who refuses the help, who doesn't think they need help, who doesn't want it, they're just very resistant to it all. What can you do there? Well, most of the teens that uh, that I worked with who came to Menninger came in uh, basically very much opposed to coming into the hospital, very much opposed to uh, um, to to any type of assessment or treatment, and 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 many of them were very angry at their parents for putting them in this position. Um, you know, they would threaten, uh, they would plead, they would bargain, they would beg, they would do anything to try and get their parents to change their mind. Uh, fortunately, uh, parents uh, did not do that. They insisted that their child uh, be admitted to the hospital, go through the assessment process and if needed, uh, go into treatment. Um, and I think that it, it's fairly common that we find adolescents who are resistant to the assessment. And I, I address this issue in my book and, and, and basically say that the bottom line is, if you suspect there's a problem, you need to insist on assessment. You need to assist, insist as a parent that your child be assessed. Whether they want the assessment or not, you need to know what's going on. So take your child into the assessment um, and, and, and get that assessment done. They're not going to like it. They're probably going to fight you. But as a parent, you need to, you need to get the assessment done. And that brings us back to the earlier question of blended families. Mm. You know, if you get to the point where an assessment is needed, 
all of the all of the people involved in 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 the blended family need to be on the same page so that the child can't play one off against the other and say well this parent thinks i need an assessment this one says i don't because they're going to use that to the advantage to their advantage so get the assessment done make sure everybody's on the same page and and move forward because uh, delay is probably not going to work out very well Gosh, no, no. Delaying on this is is definitely not good. Now, I, I want to get into your book, um, The Addicted Child, the book, and it comes, there is an, it doesn't come with, but there is an additional workbook um, that you made. And I just want to say, first of all, the book is very, very informative. Um, you know, a parent who's struggling with an addicted child, you just want quick answers and immediate help. You don't want a bunch of overwhelming material that you have to get through. And I will say that this book is that it has tons of information and lots and lots of resources for you, but it's laid out in a way that's easy to digest. And so Richard, I thank you for that. And uh, I'm sure all of my parents thank you for that. Um, What would you like to add about the book? Um, And please also share with my listeners about the accompanying workbook. Well, thank you. I think that was a good summary of, of the book and the uh, and the accompanying uh, workbook for parents. Uh, the, the, the workbook for parents is really to help them because so many times parents will go through their own emotional struggles with this. They they may question if they've been a good parent. They may question, um, you know, how did they miss the warning signs? So I wrote the uh, the parent workbook as a brief work workbook to help them work through some of the feelings that they're having as well and to process process those. Um, And I intentionally kept the main book to be um, around 100 pages. Uh, I did not want to fill it with a lot of jargon and a lot of technicalities and a lot of scientific information so that a parent could very quickly read this book and walk away with a feeling that they now understand this issue uh, better than what they did before. And if their child doesn't have a substance abuse issue, that's great. But at least know what the warning signs are and be prepared prepared. Um, You may not need it, but you may know another parent. You may know another family that's struggling with this, and you have a resource that you can share with them. Um, The book is available in either electronic form or people who would prefer to have a paperback, they can buy a paperback version of it as well. Um, and, And they are both available through Amazon, or you can go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com, and you can order the book through there. Uh, you can read uh, endorsements and reviews, and there's a link where you can also contact me. So the, the website is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Thank you. And I will be sure to put all of the links um, in the show notes for the listeners. And I will just add on to what you said, you know, as a parent who, I mean, I have the four teenagers, they've all had their shares of trouble, I will say. Um, I, I do have a child that struggled with some drugs and alcohol, and I know what it feels like. I know the pain I know the suffering of a parent, of the anxiety, the uncertainty, the, you know, the judgment, shame, blame, all of it, every emotion hits you as a parent. And so um, that's why I think this workbook is so fabulous. I'm so glad that you did that, Richard, because parents need the support just as much as the kids. And so I thank you so much for that. It's been 
amazing to have you on the show. I'm so thankful for you putting out this work. And I, I'm thanking you for the parents that are listening because I know that there's a lot of parents searching for answers right now. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Before we go, Richard, is there anything else that you'd like to share or any advice that you want to leave my listeners with? Well, no, Melissa, I think I think I appreciate you uh, having me on the program to talk about this uh, this issue. Uh, it's a very important issue uh, for families and for parents. Um, and I thank you also for your contributions, because I think your contributions help make this interview hopefully uh, even more productive for the parents that are listening in. Wonderful. Listeners, make sure that you support Richard. Go get the book. It's a nice, easy read. It is not expensive. It will help you. And it will help you even if you have young ones because the young ones are going to turn into teenagers. And trust me, um, from doing it myself, you want this information. You want to have it. So thank you so much, Richard, for coming on. Thank you, Melissa. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.